0: chapter 8. Today, people, is the agony of victory, part 11. Amen. Part 11. And today we're talking about praying to the Father. You got Romans 8? You there? Okay, let's pray first. Father, thank you so much for the incredible fact that we would confess we too often take for granted, and that is our access to you. And our association with you, our relationship with you, that Father, you call us your children. You call us your own. That we're twice yours, God. You made us and you redeemed us. You've delivered us from the domain of darkness and you've transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son. And and the, the door to the throne room is wide open to us. That we might come to the throne of grace in times of need and there we can find help and Father, that is incredible. It's infathomable to us. Lord, I guess that when we get to heaven and we see you face to face and we see with our own eyes the throne of grace, that we might be ashamed for how rarely we went there in this lifetime. But I would ask that today, Father, by the teaching of your word and the anointing of your Holy Spirit, that you would work a change in our hearts, that there would come a greater desire to approach the throne of grace, that there would come a greater realization of the association that we've been given with you to you as children. And that we would just long to draw near to your heart even as you long to draw near to us. And so, Father, we ask now that you'd send the Holy Spirit to author my thoughts and anoint my lips. We declare together that we don't want to hear from a man. We want to hear from our Father. We want the living word, which is active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We want it to pierce the very division of who we are and do a deep work in us. Lord, we confess that we are too often a lazy, lackadaisical, meandering people. But We want to be purposeful. We want to be fiery. We, we want to be consciously and cognizantly daily drawing into your presence. So do a work in our hearts today, Lord. And do it for your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, last week, church, we talked about praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit and also praying in tongues. And you'll remember that with regards to praying in the Spirit, we talked about the concept of atmosphere and attitude. Being in the attitude of the Holy Spirit and thereby being in the atmosphere of the Spirit and praying. In that way. And we also talked about uh, how the Spirit assists and instructs us in our prayers. His assistance and His instruction that He draws us into prayer. That He teaches us how to pray. We talked about the gift of tongues. That it is the Spirit of God enabling the spirit of man to speak directly to the Father without our mind having to formulate words or sentences or think about what or how to pray talked about that incredible gift, and we gave you all an opportunity to ask for it. And it was neat because we saw a lot of little kids come and ask for the gift. Young teenagers come forward to the prayer team and say, I want that gift. It's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. The week before that, we talked about praying according to Jesus' name. And the fact that in His name we have authority. That is to say, we have been authorized to pray in His name, and we have authority in the spiritual realm to pray in His name. And that our prayers are effective in the spiritual realm because of His name and His identity. Talked about what that means. Talked about the fact that in His name we have access to the Father. And we also talked about the fact that according to His name, we can reach into the accounts of Jesus Christ. It better said, when we pray and the Father determines to bless, he draws those blessings from the deep well of the account of Jesus Christ. That he doesn't draw those blessings according to your merit or mine. Nothing that we've laid up in heaven, nothing that we've done, but according to what Jesus has done and who he is and what he has, the Lord blesses you according to those things. It's glorious, church. You better get excited. It's glorious. glorious. So we talked about praying according to the name of Jesus. We talked about praying in the Spirit. And today we're talking about praying to the Father. The first thing I want you to know this morning is that the Father wants to give you good things. You must know that. It's a biblical truth. The Father wants to give you good things. Last week we looked at Luke chapter 11, verse 13, where Jesus, in addressing the disciples about the topic of prayer, said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, the Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. But there's also more that He wants to give you. I mean, there's so much that is in the Father's heart, you know? The Old Testament said His thoughts toward you are more numerous than all the sand on every beach in the world. And, and, and the father knows, every father knows, how to give good gifts to his children. You know, my, my son Isaiah and my little daughter Daisy Love, I know just how to give them good gifts because I know them. You know what I mean? I, I know what Isaiah's into. He, even as he's only five years old and he's been through so many phases, I could tell you what every phase was. I could tell you when he went through his Thomas the Choo Choo Train phase. I could tell you when he's in his dirt bike phase. I can tell you that right now he's in his surfing phase. I can tell you when he's in his matchbox car phase. I can tell you at the time that he was into reptiles. I can tell you when he was into insects. I know my son. And in my father's heart, I want to give him good things. If he wants bugs, I want to get him some bugs. He wants a dirt bike. Well, I got him a dirt bike. He wants a surfboard. Well, we got him a surfboard. He needed a wetsuit. Well, we got him one, you know. Might be spoiling him a little bit, but the point is the same. The father knows how to give good gifts to his children and wants to give good gifts to his children. Remember when you were a kid and it was Christmas time and you were so excited because of the good gifts you would get and you you can't even sleep all night. You're just just so excited to get those good things. But then when you move into parenthood, it changes. There is the same excitement, but it's no longer for what you're going to get, but it's now what you're giving to your children. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It changes. You're just as excited. You know that you ain't getting nothing. You're old. You had your day. You're done. And now it's their time. But there's the same excitement. I, I'm up just as late, if not later, and I'm anticipating. I'm counting the days. But it's because I want to give those things to my kids now. And that is the heart of God toward you, that is the Father's heart. Jesus said last week that you're evil. I'm evil. I'm evil, and I still know how to give good gifts. How much more our Heavenly Father? James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's the only kind of gift He gives. You ever been to like a white elephant Christmas party or something? And you get that funky gift, just that gift that nobody wants to receive. God doesn't give those kind of gifts. Aren't you glad? Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights. When God gives to us, he gives to his children good and perfect things according to his knowledge. Now it says furthermore in the book of Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Listen to that language. We ought to be incredibly humbled by that statement. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. I mean, he's looking forward to it. He's waiting on high to have compassion on you. We often talk about waiting on the Lord and how hard that is. You know, because stuff happens on God's schedule and not our own. And we kind of want stuff now. And God says, well, it's going to be a little later. Like Abraham and the promised son, Isaac. Abe had to wait 25 years for the promised son. It's difficult to wait on the Lord. But, you know, we're waiting on a perfect God who's absolutely faithful. But when God waits, he's waiting on you. We ought to be incredibly humbled by the fact that the Lord longs to be gracious to us and therefore waits on high to have compassion on you. It ought to cause us to run to the Father at every opportunity. I mean, the Bible's not lying, is it? When the Bible says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you, I mean, He in His heart really wants to be gracious. The idea of being gracious is giving you what you don't deserve. Good things that we don't deserve. You know what justice means. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. You break the law, justice would be you get five years in prison. Mercy would be you get two and a half years. But grace, grace would be, well, you get no prison and you get a $1,000. That's what grace is. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve, and grace is being give what you never deserved. And he longs to be gracious. He longs to give you gifts according to his wealth and according to who Jesus is. And he waits to have compassion on you, and that's a, a core need of every human. Every human needs to experience compassion. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl needs the compassion to flood into their lives. And he's waiting to give it to us. And, of course, we remember the concept from James 4, two that we have not because we ask not. He's wanting to give us good things. And as his children, there are many blessings that just fall into our laps. But there's other ones that to receive, we need to grab a hold of the trunk of the tree and shake it until the fruit falls. And that's what prayer is. That's so much of what uh, you, have not, because you have not because you ask not means. Sometimes we've got to come into his presence and ask of our Heavenly Father. But what helps us in our boldness of that asking is realizing the association that we have with God. The primary way in which we are to associate to Him and with Him. Imagine with me that you have access to somebody very powerful and influential. Very powerful and influential. We'll say the President of the United States. Now, the degree of access you have to that person And what you might venture to ask from that person depends upon your association to that person. The degree of access that you have to them, what you might venture to ask from them depends on your association with them. If they're just an acquaintance. You know, the the President of the United States, he's an acquaintance. You guys were in the Rotary Club together one time in 1968. Probably not a lot of chances he's going to take your phone call. Hello, this is the White House. Hi, um, I was in the Rotary Club with the president in 1968. Uh, Could you tell him to return my call? Probably not going to get that call back. Maybe you're an old friend. You know, you were friends with someone like that in high school, and and now he's somebody. Don't you love it when that happens? You go to high school with someone, then later on there's somebody, you see him on uh, Idol or something, American Idol or Star Search or something like that. And, And you call him up, hey, remember me, we went to high school together. No? No, remember me? I was in your chemistry class, man. I sat five rows back and you were in the third row and I was the one, the guy with the blonde hair, little chubby, remember me? No, I don't remember you, man. Not a lot of access, not much that you could ask from that person. Now, if that person were a close friend, if they were a close friend, then you're afforded a degree of access and a degree of boldness to ask from them. If they were a relative of yours, there might be even more. You might say, come on, man, we're blood. Give me, come on, give me a little. But if that person is your father, there is no limit to the access because of the association. By association, by definition of the relationship, there is in the mind of God, in the heart of God, ordained by God, no limit to the access that you now have. You have unlimited access. You know, as a father, one of the times where I feel saddest, where I feel like I've failed the most is, is when my kid doesn't get my attention right away. You know what I'm talking about, fathers? We're, we're just, you know, we get involved with all our stuff and I'm busy or I'm talking to someone or I'm, I'm doing something. And, and I, I feel so horrible when I finally hear that little voice, Daddy! And it dawns on me that's like the 18th time he said, Daddy. My heart just breaks. I just stop. Ah. Son, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, son. I heard you, but I didn't hear you. I just, I'm, I'm sorry, son. What do you want? I feel horrible when that happens as a father. You know, my children should never have to go through that. They should never have to compete for my attention. Um, I, I have a dear friend. He, he's a pastor. And he talked about, yesterday we were talking about this topic, and he shared with me how when he was a, a young boy, his dad got involved in ministry and he got pretty busy. You know, and and he experienced a few times where he just didn't have his dad's attention. And one day, he kind of blew up at his dad, and his dad said, Okay, you know what? Let's make a little code. If you come and tap me on my left shoulder, I'll know that you need my attention, and I will stop whatever I'm doing. So like any other little sneaky little boy, he waited until his dad was the busiest, his dad had just finished leading a Bible study, and he had people talking to him, and he's answering questions, and he's ministering to people, and the little boy goes, now's my time. And he goes up, and he taps his dad on the shoulder, and his dad closes his Bible, and he sets it down, and he looks at him, and he goes, son, let's go into the next room. He takes his son in the next room, they sit down on the bed together, he looks him in the eyes and said, what can I do for you? And the boy, of course, went, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh. I mean, there was nothing, you know. He was just kind of testing them. But how wonderful that experience was. That he said to his son, you can always have my attention in this way. And in the same way, when we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, we are guaranteed to have the attention of the God of the universe. We are absolutely promised it in Scripture. He isn't too busy. He is infinite. Yes, he's got a lot to do, but he can handle it. There's nothing more important than you. You're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What good thing will he withhold from you, the book of Romans says. We are guaranteed by association incredible access that would allow us to venture to ask anything of our Father. And it says here in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Now, give me your attention. I want you to note what it says there. Those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We talked about last week being led by the Spirit of God. And every Christian has the Spirit of God in them. can't be a Christian unless the Spirit has come in you. At the moment of salvation that you repent of your sins and you ask for forgiveness according to the cross, the Spirit comes into you. And at that point, you are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. And you become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Now, the next verse, verse 15, gives us a definition of that. That spirit that given, is given to us is not a spirit of slavery that we would fear. In other words, God is not a taskmaster for you and I. He's not a God up in heaven saying, Okay, I got all these little people, and I need them to do a ton of little things, and they better get busy. That's not our God. There is a sense in which we are servants of the Most High God, but the primary... The paramount relationship is that of being a child of the king. And so it says in verse 15 that the spirit that we have received is a spirit of adoption. That as sons we cry out, Abba, Father. Now Abba means daddy or papa. And if you go to Israel today on our last trip to Israel, you know there'd be times where we're in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a wonderful place uh, because there's kids everywhere, you know, uh, The Hebrew culture, they're just very into their children. And they have their children with them at every possible moment. And there's kids all over the place. And you turn around a corner, and there'd just be all these Jewish kids just playing and having fun. And you'd hear, Abba, Abba, Abba. Even today, Abba is Daddy or Papa. And there's something that is God-ordained that happens in the heart of a father when the little child says, Daddy, or Papa. My son Isaiah, when he was smaller, used to call me Papa. And man, it just used to melt my heart. I mean, it it just, I just came undone. And he used to come up to me, and he would grab, you know, he's about this tall. And he would grab my pants, and he'd shake them. And I'd look down, and he'd look up. And man, he had the fattest cheeks. Now that he's five, you know, he's kind of slender and fit and well-built. It's pretty cool. But when he then, like, he'd look up, and his cheeks would go, And they just be pulling back, and they pull open those giant, beautiful blue eyes that he got from his mom, and he'd look up at me, and he'd lift his little hands, and he'd say, Papa, please. Hey, man. Hey, man. At that moment, it was a done deal in my heart. I didn't care what he wanted. He was going to get 10 of them. I mean, when that perfect little guy looked up at me and said, Abba, Papa, Please, there's something that is God-ordained that happens in the heart of a father, you understand. Now, my little Daisy love, she'll be two on June 23rd, uh, just in a little while. She doesn't call me Papa, she calls me Daddy. And she's got this voice, it's incredible. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, And she doesn't say please, she says peace. And she's a little more whiny than her brother was. She's actually a little more demanding than her brother was, but she can be pretty whiny. But she looks up at me, and in the same way, she goes, Daddy, please. Daddy, please. And then I lift her up, and she directs me with her hand. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. And I'm like, I'm going wherever she wants me to go. I mean, there's just something, again, God ordained, that happens in the heart of a father when the child says, Abba. Now, when the Spirit of God comes into you, the work of the Spirit of God is to cause your spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. That is what the Spirit of God is accomplishing in your spirit. That is to say... Working in you through revelation that you might understand that your primary association with the God of the universe is daddy. It is daddy. It is that intimate. He he is to be that known by you. And it says here that we've received a spirit of adoption. Now, you've got to strip away all the connotations that you've assigned to adoption in this culture and in this day. You know, in this culture, it, it has some connotations to attach to it, but originally and in the heart of God, it's a wonderful thing. You see, because if you birth a child, what you get is what you get. You didn't really have any say-so. You know what I mean? You couldn't do anything. I mean, what came that day is what you have. Hope you like it. But you see, adoption is altogether different. With adoption, you go and you choose a child. I mean, you look and you say, that one. I like that one. I want to love that one right there. That one is perfect. I want him or her. And so when God wanted to express to you your sonship or or you being a daughter of him, he chose to use the word adoption because Ephesians 1 tells us that we've been chosen from before the foundations of the world. That God in His infinite wisdom and in His foreknowledge looked at you and said, I want that one. That one is going to be my kid. That one, I want that one. And and what He expects is for you to say, Daddy. Abba, Father. And and when that relationship becomes real, then prayer actually happens. Because I, I, I think the best definition of prayer that I can put to it in our 11 weeks of studying it thus far, the best definition I could put to it is just as simple. Prayer is a dialogue between two persons who love each other. It's a dialogue between two people that love each other. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is meant to be at its core is the Lord loves you and you love the Lord and you want to just look into His face and just talk with Him. And, and the spirit in you goes, come on, go ahead, call Him Daddy. Call him Abba. Call him Papa. You're chosen. He loves you. Let's see Jesus talk about it in Matthew chapter 6. Go there if you would. Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking here, Matthew 6. We're just going to read verses 5 through 9. Jesus speaking on the subject of prayer. He says in verse 5, And when you pray, you're you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, And when you shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven. Now, the first thing that Jesus wanted us to know with regards to prayer is that it is to be a conversation directed to God the Father. It's not for other people. It is to be for God the Father. And so he says in verse 5, don't pray in order to be seen by men. And you know, the, the, the religious leaders did that in that day. They would stand in the synagogues or on the street corners, wherever people were gathered. And and they would have their prayer shawl on, and they would lift their hands, and they would pray these long, uh, eloquent prayers. And everybody would walk by and go, wow, check that guy out. He is so spiritual. He's just a religious giant. Just listen to him. And Jesus said about that, well, that's their reward. Hope they like it. That's all they get. In other words, those prayers are not heard in heaven because they're not directed to heaven. And as outlandish as it seems, sometimes this happens within the church today. You know, don't be too hard on the religious leaders of those days. They were just silly guys just like you and I. And just like you and I, they kind of like to be seen by men and noticed by people. And even in their spirituality, they sometimes wanted to be esteemed as, you know, awesome. And so sometimes you see it in the church today. Somebody will pray, and it's not a prayer, it's a sermon. They got a lesson that they wanted to teach the people listening. And so they pray that sermon. Well, you know, Jesus is saying, let it just be a conversation between you and the Father, not for men. Or they're rebuking other people in their prayers. Or they've just, some came into their mind and like, ooh, that's going to sound good. Oh, I quote Isaiah 53, 53. Oh, I'll do it in Old King James. Oh, and they just wait for their moment and then they say, Lord, thou dost. And there's this sense of, I'm sounding good. I mean, let's be honest, it happens. And the Lord just says, don't don't do that. If you pray to be heard by men, if that thought is in your heart, then that's the fullness of your reward is that somebody went, wow, pretty good prayer. It's a conversation. Between two people that love each other. Don't, don't do it to be seen by men. Very, very simple. But it, it sneaks in, doesn't it? And, and then he says in verse 6 that you're to go into your inner room. Now, this is not a prohibition against corporate prayer or agreeing in prayer. That's a very important biblical thing. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, agreeing in prayer. Very important. This is not a prohibition against that. But he's just talking now about drawing near to the Father in the private sense. And he says, go into your inner room. There is, I believe, in everybody's life, a spot ordained by God. A spot where the Father desires to meet them. We already read that He longs to be gracious to us. He's waiting on high to have compassion on us. I mean, He's literally waiting for you. And it might not be an actual inner room or an actual prayer closet, but I believe there is for every Christian a place where the Lord would be willing to meet you every day if you would just go there. My wife has that place. It's a chair in our living room. And it's a great chair. It's the most comfortable chair in our house. But you know what's weird? Nobody sits there other than her. And it's not by ordinance. She hasn't put up a a wifey decree over it that says, Thou shalt not sit here. There's nothing like that. But there's almost almost just a holiness around that chair. Let me tell you why. Every morning at 6 a.m., my wife gets up. And she goes to that chair. I'm not there. Kids aren't there. There's no television there. There's no radio there. There's no magazines there. There's her Bible that is well-worn. There's a pencil and a pen and a highlighter. And there's a Hello Kitty journal. And in that chair, my wife comes face-to-face with God the Father every single day at 6 a.m. He's just ordained it. It's like he said to her, daughter, if you will come here, I'll be waiting for you every day at 6 a.m. Now, I've got my own inner room, prayer chamber, so to speak, in the back of the house. I have a little tiny office. It used to be a laundry room. We made it into an office, just a little tiny thing. And I go in there, and I, I have to get up uh, before dawn. And it's not because I'm spiritual. Believe me. It's because I'm not very spiritual. It's because I'm kind of type A. And when the sun comes up, boy, i got to be doing nine million things, plus a few. You know what I'm talking about? Man, when I see the sun come up, i got ideas. I'm doing this and that and A, B, C, and D, and I'm surfing and dirt biking and ministering. I'm doing all of it. But I can't do it until the sun comes up. And so I've learned in my own life with the Father that I've got to get up before the sun. And so I get up, and I go into this little, or this little room, and, and God's ordained. He says, Britt, I'll be here. Leave the distractions behind. I will be here. And I go back there, and the Father meets me. And, and when I come out, and I walk into that living room, and there's my wife, and she's been with the Father in that chair. It's like the Shekinah glory. I mean, you can just see this little girl has been on the father's lap, just pulling on the tassels of his beard, just listening to her, his voice. He's been whispering in his ear. He's been petting her. He's been cuddling her. You can just see on her face like Moses when he came down the mountain. And I believe that there is, because of the words of Jesus right here, a place that is ordained for every child of God where the father says, I will meet you daily. And so Jesus gives us the encouragement. He says, go into that inner room, wherever it might be. Go into that inner room where the Father can be found and pray to your Father who is in secret. It's that secret, quiet place. He's waiting there and and He wants to see you. And you don't have to have an agenda. In fact, it's wonderful when you come to the Lord in prayer without an agenda. But when you just come to Him. Samuel Chadwick, in speaking on the subject, or rather writing on the subject, said this. This is the inner meaning of prayer. It's more than asking. It is communion, fellowship, cooperation, identification with the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. Prayer is more than words, for it is mightiest when it's wordless. It's more than asking, for it reaches its highest glory when it adores and asks nothing. When a child entered his father's study and walked up to him at his desk, the father turned and asked, What do you want, sonny? The little chap answered, Nothing, daddy. I just came to be with you. I mean, that's what what God wants with you. At at the very core, in, in the deepest sense, according to the definition of Jesus, that's what prayer is. It's just you coming to the place where the Father is. That inner room, that secret place. And you don't got to come with a big agenda or big plans. You come with nothing. Come with nothing, just seeking His face. And and the Father will be revealed to you. And not only revealed to you in communion, but Jesus says a wonderful thing that He didn't have to say here, but He says it because it's true. He says at the end of verse 6, and your Father will repay you. You know, if you determine to schedule time with the Father every week, it's going to be, to an embarrassing, tiny degree, a sacrifice. You know, we're busy, and we got kids, and lives, and jobs, and, and this, and that, and the other. And, and, you know, for me, it's a sacrifice of sleep. And I, I love sleep like the next guy. I absolutely love it. My wife makes a great bed, and we got clean sheets all the time. And so I love sleep like anybody else. But I have found that if I, after the pattern of Jesus... Get up before dawn to seek the Father. We see Jesus do that all throughout the Gospels. He got up before dawn and he'd go to be alone. He left the disciples and the clamor of the northern sea, of uh, the northern end of the Sea of Galilee behind, and he'd go up to just seek the Father in the secret place. If I do that and, and sacrifice those couple of hours of sleep, I've seen that the Lord is more than generous in repaying me in whatever is needed, whether it just be energy or strength or wisdom, or provision, or peace, or joy, or forgiveness, or instruction, or just Him. Jesus said, you meet the Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Andrew Murray, writing on the subject, said, Not on the strong or fervent feeling with which I pray does the blessing of the closet depend, but on the love and the power of the Father to whom I there entrust my needs. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. He said in Jeremiah 29 to the southern kingdom of Judah in verse 12, you will find me when you search for me with all your hearts. God's a giver. He's not a taker. He's a giver. He's not a taker. For God so loved the world he gave. And if you will but give a little bit of your schedule, I'm talking very practically now. This is not pie in the sky, heady sort of spiritual. thing. I'm just very practically now if you will just put time in your schedule to get alone with, away from everything else and alone with the Father, the promise of Scripture is that He will meet you there. And He will more than repay the time and the little sacrifice that you've given because He's a giver. He's not a taker. He will reward the person that spends time in the inner room or the prayer closet. And I want you to remember, That when God rewards, when God blesses, when God gives, it's according to the riches of Christ. Remember when we come in His name, we come to receive from the account of Jesus Christ. Remember Romans 8, 16 and 17? The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so when you come to the throne of grace in the time of need, And you draw near to the Father. He gives to you from the riches, the unfathomable, unsearchable, unending riches of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 7, Jesus encourages us not to use meaningless repetition. Verse 7, he says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Why do they do that? For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. There, there are many false gods today, and there were many false gods then. In the Old Testament, it makes it very clear, in the, in the New Testament as well, that the idols and false gods are actually demonic personalities pretending to be a god. The Old and the New Testament both alliterate that, make that very clear. These are demonic personalities pretending, deceiving people into following after them. And, and, and the thing that Satan loves to do is frustrate people. You see, God always wants to satisfy you with his love. But Satan always wants to frustrate you with his schemes. And so the ploy of Satan then is the same as it was now. He would, as that false god, make himself seem as though he were not hearing the prayers of the pagans. And that's why they would use meaningless repetition. They figured, if I could be loud enough... And say it often enough and over and over, then this little idol has got to eventually hear me. And so that pagan mode of prayer was that meaningless babbling over and over and over again, just in hopes that their false God would hear. We see it in Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. And he said, Now let's see whose God is God. And you prophets of Baal, you go ahead and pray to Baal and tell him to consume the sacrifice with fire if he's God. And boy, they started to pray. And they didn't hear anything. They started to pray harder and longer and faster. And we're told that they prayed all day. And Elijah said to them, What's the matter? Maybe he's busy, or maybe he's in the restroom, it says in the Hebrew. I mean, where's your God? Why is nobody responding? And they got so desperate, we're told in First Kings that they began to cut themselves. You see, Satan always wants to frustrate people. He had them very frustrated. Nobody was listening. They got to the point, well, if we hurt ourselves, maybe someone will listen. You know, that's the same demonic spirit that's working among our youth today. There are so many youth in this community that cut themselves. And they cut themselves because they feel that nobody is listening. Satan has convinced them that nobody hears their hurt. That nobody hears their cry. But if somebody would just come and tell them about the Heavenly Father. If somebody would just tell them about the Father who sees, who knows, who listens. And so we, as the children of God, never have to be in that place of the pagan, of crying out to someone who isn't there. Jesus makes it very clear that when we lift our voice and our hearts to the Father, He is there. You know, he, Jesus said that the Father knows when a sparrow falls from its nest and that we are infinitely more important to Him than a sparrow. I mean, you know, Jesus is not blowing smoke when He says these things, people. It, it, it wasn't hyperbole. It wasn't metaphoric. When He said the Father knows when a single sparrow falls from its nest, the Father knows. And then He said, and you are infinitely more important to the Father than a sparrow. He is concerned with you. His thoughts toward you are more than every piece of sand on every beach in the world, the Old Testament says. He's numbered the hairs upon your head. He's infinitely and intimately concerned. And so we never need to be in that place of the pagan. We just come to the Father and and we have the confidence that He hears us. But uh, now listen to me on this. I, I do see sometimes meaningless repetition in the prayers of Christians, and I myself have been in this place. Here's what I mean. Sometimes people use the name or the title God as punctuation instead of actually addressing the person. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not seeking to make anybody feel bad. We often do this when we're trying to find our feet in prayer. But it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if, you know, I wanted to go surfing with my buddy Glenn right here. And I said, hey, Glenn, hey, Glenn, can you, Glenn, just come? Glenn, I would love, Glenn, to go surfing with you, Glenn. And if you, Glenn, would get your board, Glenn, and come down, Father Glenn, and meet me, Glenn, Glenn, I would gladly, Glenn, go surfing, Glenn, with you, Glenn. Now, that's, you know, it communicates, but, but what if I were to say this? Hey, Glenn, man, would you come surfing with me today? I would love to be with you, Glenn. Now, doesn't that communicate a little better? And and the name of God is, is wonderful. It's a name that's above every name. Whichever one of the many in the Bible you choose. And it just shouldn't be used as punctuation. There ought to be this real sense. I just want us to grow in prayer. I'm not condemning. Please understand my heart. I just want us to grow from the place of, of God is just a, a, a punctuation mark to now, it, it, I mean, I'm really, when I say it, addressing the Father, I'm really with my, ho- my whole heart and soul and mind and being saying, Father God, or Lord Jesus, or Holy Spirit, or whatever it would be at the moment, that you're really cognizant that you're speaking to that person. That's what prayer ought to be. We ought ought to be mindful of that. And and then Jesus says in verse 8, Your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. Now, we balance that with the concept of you have not because you ask not. The Father does want us to come and ask of Him certain things, but that is not the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is to just draw near to the Father's heart. And so when Jesus said that, he said that in order to settle our hearts. Because we have so many needs, don't we? And sometimes we come before the God of the universe who has every resource in the world, and our hearts are just bubbling with fears and concerns and needs. And Jesus said that to calm you. To say, "Wait wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Father knows everything that you need. He knows everything that you need. Just go into the prayer closet. Draw near to Him. Andrew Murray, in commenting on this concept, says, At first sight, it might appear as if this thought made prayer less needful. God knows far better than we what we need. But as we get deeper insight into what prayer really is, this truth will help much to strengthen our faith. It will teach us that we do not need, as a heathen, with the multitude and urgency of our words, to compel an unwilling God to listen to us. It will lead to a holy thoughtfulness and silence in prayer as it suggests the question, does my Father really know that I need this? It will when once we have been led by the Spirit to the certainty that our request is indeed something that according to the Word we do need for God's glory, give us wonderful confidence to say, my Father knows I need it and I must have it. And if there be any delay in the answer, it will teach us in quiet perseverance to hold on, saying, Father, thou knowest I need it. It's just not to quiet the spirit and the soul and all the senses to say, okay, he knows. He knows before I know. He knows better than I know what I need. So how about if I just draw near to him for the sake and the purpose of love? Not always is a go-to to get what I want. But for the sake and the purpose of love. I mean, Jesus Christ died on the cross for love, people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God hath demonstrated his love in this, in that while we were yet sinners, he gave Christ to die for us, Romans 5 8. We're told in 1 John that God is love. And the very purpose of Jesus going to the cross was not that he might deliver us from bad habits. Though the cross has that effect, doesn't it? And he didn't go to the cross just so that when this body finally gives out, we got some place to go. Though that is a benefit of the cross, isn't it? But Jesus bled and gave himself upon the cross that we might have intimate, loving relationship with the Father as a child would with theirs. For love's sake he died upon the cross. That is the totality of it. And so Christian, if you're not in the prayer closet coming to the Father to have a dialogue of love, you miss the whole point of your salvation. It's not so you can do things for Him. It's not so you can show up at church. It's so that your heart can connect with His heart as he created it to be in the garden, as Adam and Eve walked with him in the cool of the day, that's what God wants from you. He just wants your heart. It's about a relationship. And that's what prayer is. Dialogue between two people that love each other. And so Jesus says in verse 9, Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven. Now you got to listen to that with first century Jewish ears. Okay? Get them out your—they're in the front of your seat. Get out the first century Jewish ears in front of you and put them on. They're not really there. Get out. You, you just, It's kind of figurative there. Reach in there and just, just pretend that you're, you're putting on the ears uh, of a Jewish guy in the first century who, who has lived in the Old Testament context, who knows it very well. And when Jesus says at the request of the disciples, teach us how to pray, when he says, okay, you want to know how to pray, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, every Jew went, wait a minute, Jesus, Rabbi, Messiah, you know all things. Are you saying to me that when I pray to God, I'm to say, Father? You see, they never said Father. They never addressed him directly as Father. There was in the heart of the Jew too much of a sense of reverence toward God. And there wasn't the economy of the Old Testament too much of a system of separation between them and their God. You see, if they wanted to get with their God, they had to go to one place, wherever the tabernacle was or in later times in Jerusalem where the temple was. And the first thing they would see as they came to the tabernacle or the temple was an outer wall. And all they knew is that the presence of God is somewhere behind there. And if they were able to get before or, or beyond that first wall, then there was the, the, the uh, brazen laver. And they knew that they first had to be washed. And then there was the altar of sacrifice. And they knew that first there had to be sacrifice. And then they would simply come to another wall. And they knew, I'm not there yet. I can't get to my God. He's, he's separated from me still. And if they were able, and very few people were able, if they were able to go behind that wall into the holy holy place, there was the altar of incense and another veil just beyond it. And not any Jew in all of Israel except for one and that once a year ever went beyond that veil. And he had to have a rope tied to his ankle and bells attached to his robe. Unless he died in the presence of God, they would just drag him out. It was communicated to every single Jew. You are separated from your God by various and multiple degrees. And they knew why. They knew it was because of sin. There was no question. But then Jesus came. And Jesus comes as the exact representation of the Father. Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He comes to explain the Father to us, to reveal the Father to us. And he came to remove the veil once and for all, to remove the separation between us and our God, that now through Christ Jesus, for the first time in the history of the universe, Jesus says, when you now pray, you pray our Father who art in heaven. And every Jew had their little Jewish mind blown that they could call him Father in that degree of intimacy. The Lord had always desired that from them. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord said, How I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, You shall call me Father and not turn away from following me. This was at a moment uh, about 700 years before Christ in, in the southern kingdom of Judah when they were in utter rebellion to God. They had lost the word of God. It wouldn't be found for a few decades later until Second Chronicles 34. It would be discovered there in the temple. They had misplaced the word of God. And, you know, like in any home, when the word of God is misplaced, our hearts get in a weird place. They begin to sacrifice their children to false gods, Israel did at this moment. I mean, the southern kingdom of Judah was taking their children and placing them in a fire that was burning to a false god, burning them for a time, removing them from the fire before they died, reviving them, and they were called a living sacrifice to that false god. How'd they get to this place? Well, they lost the word of God. They moved away from the precepts and the principle of God. And God speaks to them in the midst of this utter rebellion. And he says, southern kingdom of Judah, how I wanted to give you the most beautiful inheritance. How I have longed in my heart to give you wonderful things. And as the NIV puts it very aptly, I thought you would call me father. It just seemed to me that there would be some reciprocity. It just seemed to me that as I ordained you as my child, that you would say father. That you would follow me as a child, would follow his father. That's always been the heart and the intent of the Lord. And one of the things that stands in the way of us doing that today, following him as father, is the marred concept that some of us have as father. You know, your dad, like my dad, was a sinner. That's what he was. He was a sinner. There's going to be times where I let my children down. There's going to be times where I don't mean to or... I just blow and I break their little hearts. I upset them. I disappoint them. I fail them. There's going to be times because I'm a sinner. And your father was a sinner too. And, and, you know, the relationship of father to child is so powerfully ordained by God that it just affects a person to the very core. When it's right, it just deeply affects you for right things. And when it's wrong because of sin and living in a fallen world, it just deeply affects you wrongly. And it can leave their wounds and scars and varying degrees of disconnects and varying layers of walls and separation. And what we often do unknowingly, of course, in our hearts is we ascribe to our Heavenly Father characteristics that we saw in our fallen fathers. And friends, that's just a grievous sin. You cannot get the totality of your concept of God as father from your earthly father who is a sinner, as wonderful as he may have been. It's got to come from a revelation of Jesus. You've got to dive into the word of God. You've got to begin to see who Jesus is and who God is is, re- is revealed in the Bible. And, th- and then you see that he's a perfect father. He's a father that will never fail you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will always protect you. He will always guide you. He said to the northern kingdom of Israel about 700 years before Jesus came, about the same time as Jeremiah, through the prophet Hosea. He said in Hosea chapter 11, um, Ephraim was another name for the Northern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom was sometimes called Israel. Southern Kingdom was called Judah, but the Northern Kingdom was also called Ephraim. He says in Hosea in the opening verses, "I taught Ephraim how to walk, and I lifted Ephraim into my arms." Do you remember teaching your kid how to walk? You remember that? You at least me I'd, I'd put out these two fingers like this. And they would grab these fingers right here and I'd just begin to lead them like this just so gently and slowly and just observing their every mannerism and gesture and their little feats, just rejoicing as they would just take those baby steps, just so gently leading them. And then I would maybe move my fingers away for a minute to see if they could balance. And if they would fall, I would immediately bend down and just scoop my child up and hold them in my arms. They weren't hurt. They're just balls of blubber and cartilage. They weren't hurt, but nonetheless, I would scoop them up in my arms and just bring that sense of security. God says to his people in the book of Hosea, I taught Ephraim how to walk. I'm the father that knelt down and led them, and when they fell, I lift them up. And he says in Jeremiah, and I thought they would just call me father. That's all God wants is that relationship, that they would call me father. Perhaps you didn't have a father. Good news this morning is that God is a father to the fatherless. Psalm 10, verse 14, Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Psalm 68, verse 5, He is a father to the fatherless. God is in his holy habitation. Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen: For thus says a high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place. And also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Listen to God there. He dwells in a high and holy place and near to the brokenhearted, the fatherless, the wounded, the displaced, the downcast, the injured, the angered, the frustrated. God is near in his Father's heart to that person. And there is a peace in the Father's presence in the presence of the Father that comes from no one else. When we just cry out, Daddy. Every time one of my kids fall down, first thing out of their mouth is, Daddy. First thing out of their mouth. A few years ago, I got in a car accident. and It's hard to explain. I'll tell you some other time, but I ran myself over with my own truck. It's hard to explain. <laughs> um, something maybe only I have ever done. But it, I, I ran myself over with my own truck, and I got pinned between my truck and a building. And I was pinned this way, hip to hip. And my hips went into a space of about five inches. For that to happen, my lower vertebrae slipped forward. My hips dislocated from the sockets. And my pelvis bent in half. And my hips squeezed into a space of about five inches. And I was trapped there with nobody to help me. It was very early in the morning before dawn. There was no one to help me. And I had to get myself out. and, And I prayed to God, God, help me. And and I was able by his strength to rip myself out. It took all the flesh off the side of my hips. And at that moment I couldn't walk, and I was terrified, and I was broken, and I was scared. And I began to crawl toward the house, my wife being in the house, still asleep. I began to crawl to the house and I was yelling, get my dad. Get my dad. Get my dad. And Kate came out, my wife, and she looked at me and she just had a look of horror in her eyes. And all I could say was, Get my dad! Get my dad! I started to scream, I want my dad! I was 27 years old. She called my dad, my dad came. The moment I saw him, there was just a sense of peace. He couldn't do anything for me. He's not an EMT. In fact, he was terrified. But you see, he was my father. There is a relationship ordained by God. And the perfection of it is only realized as him being your heavenly father. You will never know peace, security, comfort, and joy until you go into the inner room and pray to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you so much. I ask now that, Father, you, according to your word, would send the Holy Spirit to pour your love abroad in our hearts. That, Lord, now as we begin to worship, you would minister deeply to us. You would deal with those wounds and those disillusions about Father. You would deal with those hurts and those abandonments. You would deal with those walls and those bitternesses. You would allow us to forgive our earthly fathers this morning that we might experience our heavenly fathers all day. Holy Spirit, you would come and deal with the very core of who we are as we worship and draw us into the Father's presence. Thank you, Jesus, that you told us the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, come and find us. We long to be near with you. Holy Spirit, give us a revelation of our perfect Heavenly Father.